Jesus, we just come before you humbly this morning, just asking for your presence to be with us as you said it would. Lord, we just recognize you in this place. God, I pray for the heart this morning that is hard. God, I pray that you would soften. I pray for the heart this morning that is broken. Lord, I pray that you would mend it. God, I pray for the you. I pray for the, the heart that is distant from you this morning. God, I pray that you would draw it near. God, I pray for the heart this morning that has been making compromises in their faith. I pray that you would just convict us and bring us back to you, Father. I pray for the person who has been compromising in their lives and in, in the way that they follow you, God, and the way that they've given themselves excuses to, to feel a certain way or do a certain thing or whatever it may be, God, that you would convict us and bring us to our knees, Father, and surrender to you this morning, Lord. As we begin this topic on race and reconciliation, God, I don't have the words. I don't have the know-how. I don't have the words to speak, God, but you do, God. Your word does. Over this morning, I just I give my, my, my voice to you, God. I give this body of people to you, Lord. I pray that you would use us the way that you intended us to be used, Lord. I pray that we would just align ourselves with Scripture. And, God, we would be like the church in Acts, that we would just come together, do life together, and be obedient and walk in faith of where you're calling us to go. God, we give you glory. We give you praise. God, I pray that you would open our eyes this morning. Let us see, Lord. Let us see what we've been missing because of our just the, our preconceived notions of who you are or how you work. God, we surrender those things right now in Jesus' name. God, we love you. God, we praise you. We give you honor. God, in your name I pray. Guys, that's our heart, um, is that God would move. Because <laughs> without him, we can, we can do nothing, right? If you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you know that's true. And this morning, as we start a new series, our heart is that you would understand that God's heart is, is meant to be lived out in, in, the, in the hands and the feet of the church. And this morning, we're going to kind of just begin our series. We're, going to, we're about to start this morning, actually. For those of you who might not have been here last week or for a couple of weeks, we're not in witness anymore. Um, are starting a new series this morning called Race, Reconciliation, and the Gospel. And I don't think you need to ask why we're doing that because our culture right now is very divided. It's on fire, literally, in some places. And there's a lot of things that are happening that you don't really understand because we don't, we don't understand why things are happening the way they do. But, but guess what? The Word of God is able to help in the process and the conversation of reconciliation. So I want to start this entire series off in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 10. You want to turn there or to be on the screen, verses 9 through 10, Revelation 7. And this is the revelation of John who come and, and, and Jesus in his glorified body came before him and gave him um, the, the, what's, going to, what's to come, the, the things he gave him a, a look into, a glance into the future of what was to come. And, and this is what it says. It says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation that word nation, the, 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 the translation is ethos, ethnic groups. Every ethnic group from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
when you read that, if something doesn't come in your heart and just start making you beat a little faster and start making you want to look to the future and see this happen, like there's something missing, man. Like something inside of every believer should be looking forward to this day when they stand before their Savior Jesus with all the nations and all the tribes and all the tongues declaring in one voice that Jesus is King and that he receives the glory and honor and praise forever and ever. Amen. That should be our heart as believers because this is God's heart. Every nation, every tribe, every ethnic group, every people group, every language standing before the throne of God, together, united around the name of Jesus, can we just let our minds just kind of go there for a second? If you're like me, you're a visual person, like close your eyes and just put your mind in that moment. Your mind can't fathom it, but just try. Can you see what that looks like rejoicing? rejoicing, the absence of temptation, the absence of sin, no more hate, no more division, no more any of those things, rejoicing before the Lord. The King of Kings saying Jesus is our Savior, what he's done, celebrating the Lamb of God. And today we're starting this three-week series that I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure I can do justice to the magnitude of this topic, but I'm depending on the Holy Spirit to guide us through this. And it's called Race Reconciliation in the gospel, and I want us to see and hear God's heart today on what his, his heart is for the nations, what his heart is for race and for reconciliation. Then next week, I want to look at what we're called to do as the body of Christ when it comes to this topic. And so today, if you want to go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2, um, that's where we're going to be, but I want to, I want to set us up here for a second. But what I want to show you in these three weeks is that racial reconciliation has already been achieved and accomplished. Some of you are like, what? No, it hasn't. Have you seen the news, right? Some of you are like, it has not been accomplished. But listen, the gospel has already, past tense, accomplished racial reconciliation, and it has achieved that. But the thing is, is the church hasn't lived that out, hasn't walked that out. We are, the, the world is living in flames right now because of, of this divide, because of this hatred, this racism, these things that are happening. But reconciliation is not something that we achieve. It's not something that we achieve, that we go after. You're going to have people come across the land that are going to come and say, there's going to be a voice for the, for the people. We're going to bring people together. But it's never going to happen apart from the gospel. That's scripture. We have to believe it. We have to walk in it. We have to believe what we say we believe about the gospel. We have to walk it out. But, we're, but we as a church, what, what's happened is we haven't done a really good job living this out, have we? Let's really ask ourselves the question, what it looks like in our modern day culture. Martin Luther King said, I think it's one of the greatest tragedies of our nation that one of the most shameful tragedies at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours if not the most segregated hours in Christian America. It shouldn't be that way. Until, and unfortunately, this was 50 years ago, unfortunately, little has changed since he said this statement five decades ago. Our churches are still largely segregated. It shouldn't be that way. Is this a, is this a, is this a context of our, our, our faith, or is this something that we don't understand? But listen, over the past several months, it's really seemed like, if you looked at the news, if you've seen all the things that's been happening around our world, the current events pendulum has brought racism and hatred back onto the main stage of our culture and in our news and our social media. But it, I'm here to tell you that it's never left because depravity is real. Everyone in this room is morally corrupt. Everyone in this room has every root of bitterness and wickedness in their heart because of sin. And without Jesus, we're doomed. 
And we need to understand that today because bad, the bad news is this, is that left to yourself, and you can probably realize this if you say, hey, yeah, probably, left to yourself, you're far worse than you ever thought you could be. You're far worse than you ever thought you could be and ever imagined, and you need Jesus far more than you ever thought you did. And today I'm here to tell you that that is what Jesus came to do, to make a way back to him, to make a way back to God. Because what's happened in our culture, whenever we start thinking about race and reconciliation, the conversation can get very polarizing. It can get very hostile. Emotions will range from fear or frustration or failure or fatigue or indifference or anger. And as long as there's sin in the world, there's going to be injustices that are initiated by hate and race that the church should firmly stand against. And if we don't, we're a part of the problem. And we preach the gospel to every situation. Yes, I, I'm going to preach every week, and we're going to preach the gospel to all these situations. We're going to show how the gospel relates to this. But there are moments in our culture where the church must raise its voice in support of our brothers and sisters from different ethnicities and cultures and fight for injustice. That means we're not being passive in our faith. We're being actional. We're doing something instead of just saying something. Because the world and social media has enough Bible verses posted, Right? has enough opinion pieces posted on Facebook, it's time that the body of Christ stood up and put hands to their faith. And that's what I'm here to preach today to you guys because this is gonna be a message or a sermon, yes, but I'm praying that you wouldn't listen to this as a sermon, but a call to action. Okay, because as a church, Connection Church Savannah will always stand with our brothers and sisters no matter the color of their skin and we'll fight alongside of them and we'll walk with them because the Romans 12 tells us to mourn with those who mourn, to rejoice with those who rejoice. And that means we're going to fight for every brother and sister in our church, in the body of Christ. Because I can personally say that even if you and I don't look the same, that you're my brother and you're my sister in Christ as we follow him together. You and I have something more in common than skin tone can ever take away. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside both of us. The church is called to be advocates of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 19, Paul is talking to the Corinthians and he's saying, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. He's given you a ministry of reconciliation as a Christian. That means you are to work to reconcile the world back to Jesus. Does that make sense? He's given you a mission to reconcile what was, what was once lost to make sure that it's found in Christ. He's given you the mission to go out and find people that are divided, share Christ with them and show them a better way. Our heart is to understand the verses before this one is the verse that I love to quote, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And then it goes on and says, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Do you see that? God has given his mission of reconciliation to his body. We've become new creations so that we can reconcile the world back to him. And as the body of Christ, what happens is I read scripture. I read scripture and I'm, I realize that I'm called to put into action the words that I read. His desires that I see coming out of these pages as I read are, are meant to be worked out of my hands to people. I'm meant to be giving my life 
to people, not just telling them what they're supposed to be doing all the time. I'm supposed to be reading this, changing my heart, changing my actions, showing them the love of Jesus, creating unity, and then telling people why I love my Lord, why I'm acting this way. And it's time that we, that we work that out, guys, because from the beginning, we see God desiring every person that bears the image of God to be redeemed back to his family and united back together. So everybody in this room, whether you know it or not, is made in the image of God. You all have an infinite worth value that you cannot imagine. And I want to tell you this is that God has a special plan and purpose for you. The plan wasn't divided into ethnicities. This wasn't, these are my white brothers, they're going to have this to do. These are my black brothers, they're going to have this to do. These are my Hispanics and my Asians, we're going to have them doing different things in the world, in the church. No, we were called to be one body united around Jesus. One body united around Jesus. From the beginning, that's what it was. From Genesis 3, you can look this up. If you don't believe me, go check it out. From Genesis 3 to Revelation 20, we see God is telling the story about creating a new people for himself. Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, perfect. Genesis 21, great, awesome. Between there, he's rescue mission to bring everybody back to himself as united. One body. And as we get started, I just want to confess something to you, and I want, I want to confess something for you because I believe this is where we all stand, is that we've all been tempted to come to this conversation on race with our own prejudices and our own personal experiences, and God's word hasn't been the primary source that shaped our views, right? Our worldview or our experiences has shaped my views and not the word of God. I'm telling you this morning, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus, this is what shapes your worldview. This is what shapes your life. This is what shapes everything about you. And I want to start with some questions that, that will help us get started is, who does God say that we are? Who does God say that we are as a body? When, when we're talking, when we start talking about who we are in Christ, when we start talking about our unity in Christ, when we start talking about our brotherhood in Christ, how do we relate with one another in Christ? Do we believe the scripture is sufficient? Do you? Ask yourself that. Do I believe that everything I need to know about this is in Scripture? Do I believe that everything that I need to base my conversations off is in Scripture? Do I believe Scripture is sufficient for what I need to do? Because one of the craziest and scariest things about all of these debates that are happening in our culture and even in the church is that we're beginning to see a cultural leaning to where sin has become institutionalized rather than it being in the heart of man. Right? Sin has become, become an institutionalized thing instead of it being in the heart of every man. What I've seen is, is, is if you're not seeing this rightly or on these issues, people are saying, they're, they're not saying, you need to go to this passage of Scripture. What they're saying is you need to read Divided by Faith. Or here's a list of books that you need to read in order to be able to read the scriptures rightly as, as it relates to other, uh, other, our unity together in Christ. And that's a problem because I believe the Bible has absolute and sufficient authority on all matters of our faith as we walk out our faith in Jesus and how we deal with races and ethnicities and unity in the church. And, and I'm not arguing that we shouldn't read other books because we should, but the Bible has to be the foundation for every conversation on all matters of our faith. And I worry and when I begin to hear people and I say things that would suggest that I've, I've had this Bible all this time and I've had these relationships with brother, brothers and sisters in Christ of, of other ethnicities and backgrounds and all this time, but it hasn't been until I read this book or this book 
that I finally understood God's heart on this issue on injustice or social justice or ethnicity. So now what you see in our cultures, we have this sociology overriding and governing our theology. And it can't be that way. It's not okay. And it's a rising problem even in the church because there's this, I think there's this ethnic Gnosticism that has kind of bled over into the church where we need to understand that, that it can't be that the church begins to adopt the views of the world. We have to, we have to adopt the views of Scripture. And we, we, we have to, to hold the Word of God high in how we relate to one another through eyes that are set on Jesus. And so what is God's heart for race and reconciliation? We're going to look at that this morning. It's all throughout Scripture. But what I want to tell you and confess to you this morning is that this three-week series will only begin to scratch the surface of this monster of a topic. It's a monster topic. But I don't think these issues are going to be solved in a sermon series or from somebody standing on the stage and telling you, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. No, this is going to change and be solved in relationships. This is going to be changed and solved in one conversation at a time. One conversation at a time. It'll be solved by God's people knowing who they are and walking in obedience. This is solved in healthy biblical community, healthy dialogue, because our vertical reconciliation with God should directly impact our horizontal reconciliation and relationship with each other. It has to. It has to. And if, if you say, let me tell you something this morning. I know none of you will be like, I don't believe that. If you say you believe the word of God, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe the word is infallible. I believe all these things about scripture. Then you do not get to sit idly by while our brothers and sisters in our culture are being treated unfairly. If we're followers of Jesus, if Jesus is my king, We've talked about kingdoms before, right? He's my king. This is not like a, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to vote him out. No, this is my king. He is my Lord. Whatever my Lord says, I do. Whatever my Lord says, points to go do this, I go do that because I'm following him. He's my king. Our views become filtered through this word. If this says it, I believe it. If I look at something in the scripture, or if I see something that I don't necessarily believe in the scripture, I need to go ahead and assume that I need to change my views. We have to understand that today, that the gospel is, 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 is the bottom line. The gospel teaches us that there's only one kind of person, a human. And we all have one common problem, sin. And we only have one hope, the blood of Jesus. And that means all people, red, yellow, black, and white, are all precious in his sight because all are afflicted, the same problem, and all people require the same cross. And thank God he doesn't show favoritism, right? And that leads me to our text today in Ephesians chapter 2. First, I want to work through this passage and then kind of walk. I want to look at God's heart for race and reconciliation. I just want to walk through the scripture. Is that okay? Uh, we're going to look at um, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, everybody's like, yeah, Ephesians 2, yeah, that's right, that's awesome. Everybody's, I once was dead, now I'm alive, God made me alive in Christ. Woo! Now this is the second part of that, right? This is where it gets a little fishy for some people, right? Everybody's the same now, everybody, one, one, one race, one, one, one kingdom race, here it comes, you ready? So it's uh, chapter 2, verse 11 to 22, and then we're going to look at uh, chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. So let's start here in verse 11 of chapter 2. It says, 
So then remember that one time, um, if, you're, if you write in your Bible above one time, you can write before Christ. Before Christ, you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those who, called, who was called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel. And so see how he says back to back, separated from Christ, alienated from Israel. These statements were saying the very same thing. If you wanted to belong to God in this culture, you had to also belong to Israel, okay? And if you wanted to know God, you had to become Jewish, right? So it was saying the same thing. So he goes on and says, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. So two of the most depressing statements in the world. You were with, before Christ, you were without hope. You were without God in this world. You were lost. But the first two words of the next verse are some of the most hopeful ones ever. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. For he is our peace who made both groups what? One. And tore down the dividing wall of his hostility. So around the Jewish temple where Paul was, was talking about, there was literally a wall. It was 10 foot high. It was made of thick stone, probably two or three feet wide with a sign on it that read, and I quote, any Gentile entering beyond this wall will have only himself to blame for his ensuing death. Talk about division. Jews clearly had not mastered the theme or the concept of the seeker-friendly temple, right? They weren't really saying, hey, you come in here. No, listen, the wall separated the Jewish mind, they separated in the Jewish mind, in the Jewish mind, in their minds, it separated them, the holy ones of God, from the good, from the bad, the clean, from the unclean, the safe, from the unsafe. And so now I know, let's, let's, let's go ahead and admit this. I, I, let's, let's acknowledge this, that we may not, we may be a little more politically correct and politically correct enough to not post signs like that anywhere. But we still have walls in our mind, don't we? Don't we? That, separate, that separates the kinds of people from the wrong ones, the, from the wrong ones to the good ones, to the bad ones, to the safe ones, to the unsafe ones. Maybe it's racial. Maybe it's white, black, Hispanic, Asian. Perhaps nothing characterizes the life and the message of Jesus more, though, than his pursuit of people whose lives and lifestyles look nothing like his. And that has to be our heart. And if we fail to listen to people, this is what I want you to hear. If we fail to listen to people who don't experience the world the way we do, we'll never bear their burden and carry out the ministry of reconciliation. We've ultimately failed to portray the full picture of Christ to the world around us. If we fail to listen to people who don't experience the world the way we do, we will never bear their burdens or carry out the ministry of reconciliation, and ultimately we will fail to portray the full picture of the gospel to the world. Are we okay with that? It's a hard question. Who is in your life that you feel this natural bond with? Who do, you, who, who do you look at as the other, the outsider, the foreigner, unlike you, unsafe, even potential enemies? Just ask yourself, what, what is it about someone that makes you meet them and immediately you sort of relax and like, these are my people. It's my boys. You know, these are my people right here. What makes you feel that way? Who are your people? Who are your tribe? Who's in your tribe? Is it, is it primarily those who share the same skin color as you? Or maybe... Those who are share your political leanings, 
You find someone who's a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian, you say, oh, okay, we can be friends. We're good. We're, these, are my, these are my people. There's, listen, there's nothing wrong with having these, you know, these uh, natural affinities for, for, I like you, I like you, but they end up erecting walls that put divisions within the church. And we have to see that Christ tore down all dividing walls, period. Paul said in Christ, there's only one category of people, sinners. When God came, we were all on the outside. There were no good people. There were, there were, there were all bad. There were no bad people. Winners or losers. People who have it together are dysfunctional people. Only spiritually dead, sin-sick rebels, children of Satan, sons and daughters of disobedience, without God and without hope in this world. And Jesus' blood, like Paul says in verse 14, has cleansed us all alike if we are found in him. Do you hear me? And that tore down the dividing wall. And by the way, look, look how revolutionary this was. At the time Paul wrote these words, that 10-foot wall in the temple was still there. It had been constructed by the command of God. Like Paul says the wall no longer exists because Jesus, the wall, was gone. Even if it remains physically, the wall is torn down because Jesus, all of our distinctions are gone too, even if they still exist in society. But look at verse 15. Let's look at verse 15 together. Paul says that the, the Jesus' resurrection created the whole, a whole new race of humanity that every person who belongs to him now shares. It says, in his flesh, verse 15, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations. Basically, this is saying those things couldn't bring salvation or resurrection anyway. Why did he do that? So that he might create in himself, what? One new man from the two, resulting in peace. So Christ was not raised, Paul said, as a Jew or a Gentile. He was raised as a completely new man so that he could create a whole new race of people. This new humanity resulted in peace because in his death and resurrection, Christ had removed anything that would, that, that would have made us feel superior to others and made relatively insignificant everything that distinguishes us from one another, giving us something glorious in common, which is the Holy Spirit that far exceeds our differences. A citizenship in heaven. So what now, what draws us together now, red, yellow, black, and white, whatever color or race or ethnicity comes into the body of Christ, whatever draws us together is far greater and stronger than what separates us. Do y'all see that? We have to see that because in Jesus, there's only one kind of sinner, dead. There's only one type of believer, alive in Christ fully adopted in God's family, partakers of God's glorious inheritance, the end, hallelujah, wonderful. But let me tell you what, as you can look on the news today, you can see a lot of people who are doing a lot of things that points to a lot of things that, that, are, that are not of God. It's important that we understand that, that the people that are, that are acting on racism or the people that are acting in hatred and anger, they're both wrong. We have to come together and see that Jesus has torn down their dividing wall. And we, a multicolored, multi-generational, multi-ethnic church, has to come together and be united and speak to those people's lives and show them what the kingdom looks like. It's not divided. It's united. Verse 18. For through him, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of what? God's household. 
built on the, corner, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole body being put together grows into a temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. And don't miss this as you read scripture, please. Here we have the whole Trinity involved. Do you see that? The whole Trinity. When it comes to the church, the father is the architect. Jesus is the foundation, the cornerstone, which everything is built on, and the Spirit is the builder. Do you see that? We have to see that. Because if you just come into church and you just open your Bible and you just kind of flippantly go through these things, oh, yeah, that's great, Michael, whatever, go to connect group, I go, then I go, if you're not being changed by what you're seeing, you're missing the entire point. And so now what's happening is Paul goes on into chapter 3 to talk about how pointing toward Pointing towards this unified, multicultural body of people was one specific calling of his life. And what he does is he ends with this amazing statement in chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. If you look at that in Scripture, chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, it says this. He's talking about the unified church. The unified church is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may be what? Made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heaven. This is according to the eternal purposes accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I want to say this clear as I can. A unified, multi-ethnic, multicultural church will put the gospel on display more effectively than any church strategy any man can conjure up. Verse 11 says, this is how we display the full picture of the gospel to the world. So what I hear in that is if, we have, if we're divided in the church by race or ethnicity, we're not giving the world a complete picture of the gospel. Do you see that? that and that terrifies me because I, if a predominantly white church or a predominantly black church, that means I am not a part of the solution. I'm a part of the problem. It means we need to be coming together and, and uniting and listening to our brothers and sisters, walking in unity, mourning with those who mourn, rejoicing with those who rejoice, and not being satisfied till we see it change. Not leaning towards comfort, but leaning away from comfort so that we can be in the moment and be uncomfortable for a minute so that God can change our hearts. Because a group of people, this is what I learned, a group of people all sharing one culture, getting together isn't very miraculous, right? I go to a football game, and I'm around all my people that act like me and look like me and talk like me, but you know, I go to a concert or a political rally or whatever, whatever thing I have that, that people are like me. But when you have a group of people who have little in common except for their common experience of grace, that's, that's a miracle. There's something important there. That, that points to the magnitude of the gospel. That points to, to the power of the new man being created through the resurrection. That, that shows, that points to our sanctification, pointing to the glorification. Like the world should look at us and say, why do these people love each other? What do you have in common that, oh, I don't understand. You don't like you. There's nothing in common here. The only thing in common is Jesus. Jesus draws us together and gives us new commonalities, right? Think about Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Let's talk about that for a second. Think about Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Simon probably hated Matthew for a minute. There probably had to be some conversations around the fire that were a little bit spicy, right? Don't go to sleep, I'm gonna cut you. Don't go to sleep, it's just gonna be on, son. Like it's, there were some divisions there because Matthew was stealing money from Simon probably. Think about Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman at the well, a woman caught in adultery. Think about the disciples coming in these places that were super uncomfortable. 
But Jesus was coming in and being the uniting factor that brought people together. People should wonder, why do you love each other? Why do you love one another? Why do you love each other so much? This kind of unity is hard, and it takes commitment and intentionality. Unity across race and ethnicity barriers, what it does is one of the highlights of the gospel. It's a sign to the world that the gospel has real power. Our congregation should scream a unity that goes beyond a shared cultural and religious heritage. It has to. It should point to a divine unity that is a preview of the kingdom to come, where every tribe and nation and tongue will gather around Christ's throne and all their beautiful cultural distinctives. And as a church, a measure, I think, I really believe this, in my heart as a church, as a church body, a measure of our success will be reflecting the diversity of our community while declaring the diversity of the kingdom. Without doing that, I feel like we can, we can teeter-totter on the, on the edge of failure when it comes to, to our faith, but we can come in here and have this wonderful service and a lot of people, but if we're not reflecting the kingdom, what are we doing? Right? I've been sitting here for like five minutes, like wondering if I should do this. Thomas, can you come here for a second? I've been like, can I do this or not? I don't know. It's whatever. I'm preaching. I got the mic. <laughs> so this is my brother, Thomas. We, we, uh, I know we don't look alike. But me and Thomas met together for how long? Two years? A year and a half? Something like that? You wish it was two years. Yeah, two years. So we met together at different places. I, I decided with Thomas for about a year and a half or so. You ain't going to work. And so we, we hung out together for about two years. And so everywhere we go, people were like, what, what are these guys doing? Because me and him, he works on cars, right? Yes. If you need your car fixed, call Thomas. Exactly. I was free. <laughs> and, so, um, and so, right. And so me and him have very little in common besides our faith in Christ. Man, it's not that much. <laughs> and so, but no, what I'm, what I'm saying is that there's been many of times where I, we would go to a place where uh, we go out to dinner or something and people were like, well, not, not that it's anything weird, but why, these guys do not look like they got anything in common. What's happening? You ever seen those people, like the couples that are, that are out like, well, how did that guy get that girl? That's kind of what it's like, right? But I, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the good part, you know? Get, <laughs> and so, but there's this moment where, where people should look and say, I don't understand how this happened. Like what, what is, what is happening? And that should beg the question. Remember two weeks ago, we talked about, does your life beg the question? That should be the question that people are begging of you. Why? Uh, what is happening right here with this dude with dress and this guy that doesn't look like he's been outside for very long? You know, what's going on? Like what's happening with these two people? But like people should ask those types of questions because as a church, our measure of success is going to be how culturally and racially and ethnic diversity, how, how diverse we are in this body. And I want to talk a little more into that because I have one point today, right? It's awesome. I'm, I'm trying to turn over a new leaf. I have one point. So God's goal, this is the point. God's goal, I, this is what I believe. God's goal in the gospel, as I read it, is not just the elimination of racism. You're like, what? God's goal in the gospel is not just the elimination of racism. It's the achievement of reconciliation. It's not just eliminating this. It's, achieve, it's going to full measure in achieving reconciliation. It's, it's, it's going beyond that. We've become far too short-sighted on this argument and our vision of what's really going on because our culture may literally be on fire on the news, all these things, but God's still working. 
Like people may literally be at each other's throats, not trusting one another, but God is still working. The church is still set apart and we're called to stand up for what their king stands for. It's what we're called to do. And it's past time we rise above and we see and we start trusting in what we can't see. It's time we stop trusting in what we can see and stop and start trusting in what we can't see, which is Jesus. And Christian, you, Chris, if you're a believer in here, if you're a Christian in this place, you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be asking, the self, asking yourself, what is God doing in this? Have you sought him and asked him, Lord, use me, please? Will you use me in this? It's time to get off social media for a minute. It's time to stop sharing our thoughts and our feelings on things so much and start sharing the truth of God's word through discipleship and through conversations. It's time to be the hands and the feet of Jesus and stop being a keyboard warrior and sharing your opinions on things. Because it's easy to hide behind a computer screen, right? But it's hard to hold someone's hand and say, I love you, I see you, and I'm with you. And we need to see why God is working for reconciliation. I want to walk through that really quick before we go because that's the work he's been doing from the beginning, right? Reconciliation in Genesis, we see it. We see that we've, we're all descended from the same mother and father. Thomas and I have the same mom and dad, believe it or not, Adam and Eve. We have the same mother and father who sinned against God in the garden and they were separated from God because of their sin and they passed, they passed that same sin on down the generations and now I have that same sin in my heart if I don't, if I don't come to Christ. We have to see the Bible from start to finish is a comprehensive story of a rescue mission that God set into motion just because he loved us. Why did he do it? Because he loves you. And I think that we can all agree that we needed rescuing, right? <laughs> do an evaluation on your life, on your heart. Do you got it? Can you handle it? All right, do you need Jesus? Do you need a savior? In Genesis 12, we move on down. We see God setting this thing into motion. He tells Abraham that he would bless the nations through Abraham. And God created the nation of Israel through Abraham's seed to bless the nations and to spread God's glory throughout the earth, which we're trying to still do today. But like Adam and Eve, Israel couldn't keep God's commandments either. So God had to send what? His son Jesus to earth to fulfill his promise to Abraham and to dramatically demonstrate the love of God that the Father had for both Jews and for Gentiles. And this is where it gets good. Because if you follow Jesus' bloodline, you'll find both Jews and Gentiles. Some of the first people to worship Jesus were Gentile wise men. Angels were declaring that his salvation would be for all nations. In Luke chapter 2, it describes Jesus as the light of revelation to the Gentiles. He's constantly reminding the disciples in Scripture that God's plan from the beginning was to bless all peoples, all ethos, all ethnic groups, all nations. His parables about the kingdom shouted that the kingdom was for all people. The gospel that he preached, he preached to the Jews, the Gentiles, the rich, the poor, the uneducated, the educated, the Canaanites, the Romans, the Samaritans, the Greeks. How dare we segregate ourselves into race in the church? Right? He is and was the perfect Messiah for all people. 
He is and was. Then he was crucified for our sins and rose again, defeating sin and death. And Matthew 28 and then in Acts 1, he renewed his purpose in his people from Genesis and said, go to the nations and make disciples. And now what we're going to do, we're going to look forward to the return of our king when he will make all things new. And the people from every nation, tribe, and tongue will be standing before the throne of God in a loud, unified roar that says salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I'm ready to sing that song. I don't know what it's going to sound like. Maybe we get Josh to put some music to it. I'm, I'm, I'm in it. I'm ready for it. I want to sing that song one day. And today in our culture, me, in this place, we're the torch bearers for the kingdom and for the mission of God. The ministry of reconciliation has been given to you. The mission of God has been fulfilled, and it starts in the church. The mission of God being fulfilled starts with the church, with the body of Christ. And if we aren't portraying a picture of the kingdom, then who is? If we aren't moving outside of our comfort zones and our preferences to see united, ethnically, culturally reconciled church, and how will the world see and know Jesus? So today, if you're not a racist in this building, I just want to tell you congratulations. Congratulations. But have you gone the full measure? Have you gone the full measure of what the gospel calls you to do? Have you fought for reconciliation in your country, in your city, in your church? Part of the problem is that Christians confuse reconciliation with diversity, right? We, we, feel, we feel like if we have diverse churches, then got it. We're good to go. We live like a kingdom. Hallelujah. Wonderful. We're doing this thing. So they begin this conversation about reconciliation with a push for diverse churches, if we can just get diverse churches, we're going to be okay. We're going to do this thing. But diversity is not the same as gospel-centered racial reconciliation. And the goal of racial reconciliation is not simply diversity. Gospel-grounded racial reconciliation begins with what Christ accomplished in the gospel. What he did is he united a one-time group of people who were very divided. They were enemies of God, and he made the two into one. He brought them together. And racial reconciliation begins with who you are in Christ. I begin to be able to look at Thomas and see Jesus in Thomas. And Thomas begins to look at me and begins to see Jesus in me. And that brings us together. And we become brothers in Christ, more close to the brother or sister that might not be saved in my family. And some of you are like, wait, wait, wait. It's biblical. Look it up. I'm telling you. Brotherhood. It begins with who we are in Christ. My kingdom race, my kingdom culture, my kingdom citizenship should come before whatever divides me. Should come before who I am in this world. Should come before my job, anything that I have in my life that I'm giving myself to. And then what happens is racial reconciliation begins to prove itself in how you love the other. And how you love the other brother or sister that doesn't look like you or act like you. It begins to prove itself in that way of real, authentic love. So to define, to define racial reconciliation as simply diversity or, or to think that our churches are racially reconciled simply because they might be diverse is very misleading. Billy Graham, one of my heroes in the faith, he said the closer people of all races get to Christ and his cross, the closer they will get to one another. The closer I get to Jesus the closer I'll get to my brothers and sisters of different races and backgrounds. That's the heart behind the church. Because if you look all throughout Scripture, 
The dwelling place of God is built with multicolored bricks. You hear that? Dwelling place of God is built with multicolored bricks, multicultural bricks. People that see and know and appreciate and love one another. As the band comes back up and as we close, my question for you is this, is are we a part of a culturally reconciled church? Are we? If not, then why? What part have you and I played? What part have you played in this? Are we satisfied with the image of the kingdom that we're portraying to the world? Are we satisfied with Connection Church being visible from the outside and saying, hey, these guys got to be together. They understand racial reconciliation. They started the conversation. They're walking through this together. In three weeks, we're having a brother, um, Anthony Lee Edwards, coming to preach a message um, from this stage. Um, he's going to preach, and we're, he and I are doing a, a video together next week, um, and it's going to be shown on the 28th, and then we're going to have we're going to post it everywhere. So don't worry. But we're going to just talk about some of the hard topics that we face, some of the awkward conversations that some people are, don't really want to have because we like our comfort zones, right? And so my heart is to ask you the question: Is you know, are you satisfied with the image of, of the kingdom that we're portraying to the world? Because I can, I can tell you this, we can't say God is calling us to the nations if we're not united around the nations that are represented in our local church. We can't say, hey, I'm going to Thailand or I'm going to Africa or I'm going to South America if I can't love my brother of another ethnicity that sits down the road from me in my church. You see that? And we almost intentionally form relationships with people outside of our comfort zones at all times have to. Because I want to tell you this, to, to not be intentionally in this means that we're intentionally not being diverse, not being reconciled. If I'm not intentionally putting myself out there to fight for reconciliation, that means I'm intentionally pulling myself out of the conversation, which gives the church a bad look. Are we standing in the way of a reconciled church? Are we standing in the way of a reconciling his church? My heart would be that in just a few moments, you would pray through this on your own. God, is there an element of racism in my heart? Is there an element of, I don't want to talk about this in my heart? Is there something in my heart that's wrong? Let me tell you right now, the only answer for that is, is repentance. And just because you come to this altar doesn't mean, hey, you're a racist. Hey, you don't have your God, God's heart in mind. What it means is that you're bowing before your king, begging him to change your heart and align your heart with his. Because if we can come together as a body of Christ, submit it to him on this, it would blow this city away. And your effectiveness for the kingdom of God in Savannah would, would change everything. If you believe this, just get on board and let's do this. Because I want to tell you, the beauty of what Jesus has done for all people, the beauty of the gospel to be brought back to him, it can't escape any of us because of what Jesus did in breaking down the dividing wall of hostility so that they, every tribe, nation, and tongue could come. It should humble us. It, it, there's, there, the, the, the argument that why is Jesus the only way shouldn't be the question. The argument should be, why is there even a way? Well, how is there a way? God, I'm humbled by your by your. You're, you're offering of, of, of a way because there shouldn't be a way because I'm sinful and you're holy. 
Guys, he died for your sins once and for all. And if today is a day of salvation for you, do not let this moment pass by because there might not be another moment. My heart would be for you to come to him to get things right at this altar. It might not be a racial thing. It might be a marital thing. It might be a financial thing. It might be something where you've been tempted to, to, to... to compromise in some area of sin, come get that right before the Lord. We have a prayer team that would love to pray with you and around you and for you, but you can't do that until you come to him and say, Jesus, I surrender all. And so if you've been playing games with the Lord, I'm gonna be standing right over here and I would love to talk you through what it looks like to give your life to Christ because this morning is the morning. There may not be another day. And so as we sing this last song, I want to pray for you. And I would just pray that you would come, that you would just push down those feelings of insecurity, that you would push down those feelings of, of, of just uh, uncomfortableness, and you would come get your heart and your life right with Jesus this morning. So let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for, the, for tearing down the wall of hostility in our, in our world, and our life. Lord, I thank you for the cross. This morning, I pray that you would just speak truth and life to someone in this place that doesn't know you. I pray that you would just tear down the walls in their heart, Lord, that they would see you for who you truly are as the Savior of the world, the one who has come and and took away their sin and, and took away the power of sin in their life. And all they have to do is come before you and surrender and say, Lord, I trust in you. I give my life to you. God, I follow you. I love you. God, I pray for the person in here this morning that is struggling with a, a hard heart of, of a, who may be struggling with a racial reconciliation of some sort. God, I pray that you would just convict their heart to the point where they cannot stay in their seat, but they have to come to this altar and repent and give their life to you again and say, Lord, use me and forgive me. Lord, help us as a church to be advocates of change, to be a light for this world to be able to do the things that you've called us to do in reconciling people back to you, Father, through the gospel. We love you. We thank you for the gospel. We just ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.